the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many people spend their working years looking forward to the time when they can retire. But when that time comes, leaving a steady income and the identity a job provides can be scary. How does a person know if he or she is ready or even wants to retire? Today's guest, Steve Lopez, a longtime columnist for the Los Angeles Times, faces the same questions. As the end of his work life nears, Steve wonders what it might be like to live without deadlines and work responsibilities. Grappling with his own decision, he used his reporter skills to collect a variety of perspectives on retirement. Steve writes about what he learned in his latest book, Independence Day, what I learned about retirement from some who've done it and some who never will. Welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this chat. So, Steve, you have had an amazing career, and you say now that, you know, the end of your work life is getting closer. What goes through your mind when you think about retiring? Well, uh, the first one is a little bit of panic, all right? I will admit to you that it's um, it's it's kind of uh, terrifying because I've done what I do for 50 years, and I've, I've felt really, really lucky to be able to do it. I mean, I get to parachute into people's lives and learn something about them and, you know, often learn something about myself in doing interviews. I'm kind of a generalist as a newspaper columnist, sort of an old-fashioned metro columnist, you know, pounding the pavement and knocking on doors and um, trying to, you know, shine a light on the issues of the day. And it's almost like a continuing education. It's like I've been in graduate school for 50 years. I really, really, really enjoy that. But um, like a lot of people my age, and I'm, you know, I'm closing in on 70, it's like, okay, um, should I maybe consider doing something else in what time I have left? Um, and who knows how much time I have left. But I started to think about how my health concerns are the same ones that my parents had at the same, you know, the same months on the calendar in the same years, like joint disease and heart disease. And I worried about becoming one of those people who retires and then is too um, hobbled to enjoy the things that, uh, you know, they wanted to do. So um, I I was so conflicted. And I thought, as you just suggested, uh, who will I be? I mean, right now, my identity is caught up so much in the work that I do. And can I create a new one? Can I find purpose? Can I find passion? And those are some questions that I don't quite have answers to. Um, And I wasn't quite ready to jump out of that plane without knowing where I might land. It sounds like what you've been doing is more something that brings you joy than work. When when I think of my parents, my my dad in particular, you know, he had a job that was a job. He went and he did the grind and he did it to support his family. And I don't think he particularly really liked what he was doing. When I look at my life, when I think about retirement, my first thought is, you know, what the heck happened? How did I get here? Because I love everything that I'm doing. So do you think that people today are looking at their jobs as less of a job and more of something that brings them joy? Well, I think there's a broad range um, of experiences. And there are, you know, in my in my reporting on this book, I interviewed people who are 
can't wait to retire. And those are people who have jobs that, that just as you said, are, are maybe they're not fulfilling or maybe they're monotonous. I mean, Mel Brooks is one of the guys in the book who, who is still working in his 90s. And he said, hey, I'm not working in a coal mine here. You know, this is not heavy lifting. I carry a pencil and a piece of paper to jot down my thoughts on the next uh, you know, TV show or movie or joke or whatever it is. So it's a different experience out there. But for people who maybe a nurse, let's say, maybe a teacher who their identity is caught up a lot in, in, in that. And so a lot of them have wrestled with if they leave that behind. Um, and even those who are doing jobs that they, they look forward to clocking out of, what's next? What's chapter two? And what things do you need to consider? I, I, I ended up finding that my interviews uh, provided something of a roadmap for me about what questions to ask and what second chapters to consider. And I hope that the book works that way for other people. Um, the best advice, I think, came from Nancy Schlossberg in Florida, who's in her 90s. And she said, as human beings, we all have this instinct, this basic instinct to, to matter. And you may matter to the dog who needs to be walked or to the grandchild who needs um, orthodonture or to the nonprofit that you're serving either as a mentor or you're on the board or you're making donations. But we need to build, if we want happiness in the next life, we need to build some, some sense of purpose and passion and find a way to matter. And um, I, I don't know yet that I have all of the ways in which I might matter. And it's one reason I didn't um, take that full leap. Um, I've, I've worked out in the end on the advice of, among others, Mel Brooks. Well, if you like what you do, but you want to try other things, why not develop a hybrid plan? And we're in a time right now when a lot of people are doing that, when there's there are new options for, you know, telecommuting or flex time or part time work, especially in this volatile economy. So. A lot of people are redefining retirement and figuring out what works best for them. And I'm still trying to do that same thing. Well, and I think the hybrid approach makes so much sense, especially for someone like you who, you know, you can freelance or you could take assignments when you want and then be free when you'd like, because we're living so much longer. When I look at people like, like a Paul McCartney, who's still on tour at age 80, when you see the possibilities of what we can achieve later in life, that old notion of retirement, it really is so much different now. It sure is. And uh, boy, you mentioned Paul McCartney. Now, one of the things that I always want to, so I had to make my list, right? If I do retire, what am I going to do with that time? One of the things was travel more than I do. Um, another thing was um, to pursue uh, language. I'm, you know, uh, I, I'm conversant in Spanish, but not fluent. Um, I wanted to, uh, you know, I want to, I want to learn how to cook better than I do and play the guitar better than I do. So I've been, I got good advice from Rabbi, um, Naomi Levy in Los Angeles, who said, it's good to sample the dream before you, before you make that big leap, make sure that you really might find fulfillment in those, those things that you want to try. So carve out some time while you're still working, whether it's on weekends or a sabbatical to make sure that you really want to learn how to fly an airplane. Um, because that might not be your thing. We talked about loss of identity and the concern about what's next, and obviously financial concerns today are an issue. What are some of the other fears that people you spoke with conveyed to you? Well, people do fear that um, the, the financial one is a big one, and, and because there are so many books out there on how to prepare financially for retirement, and because I know nothing about money, <clears throat> I thought, let me just do the spiritual side. And so on the spiritual side, you have people who, who fear that they're going to lose a social network that is sustaining um, and, and, and to lose that um, by walking away from your job is, is something that people really need to consider. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned Nancy in Florida. She's a good example of um, she, she walked away from a job as a professor um, at the University of Maryland after a long career. Um, and she had taught about transitions and she was a psychologist and thought she'd be able to handle this, but she got into retirement, moved to Florida, which had been sort of a vacation destination. She lost her husband. She lost that social network that she'd had through her colleagues um, while she was teaching. And she said she really struggled to figure out who she was. And I, I think a lot of people recognize that that's going to be a challenge. And, um, you know, Nancy does a good job of advising 
that you need to, um, it, it's, it's good to put a lot of thought into who you're going to be and what you're going to do, but also to be reminded that retirement is a lot like pre-retirement. Things come at you that you don't expect. It's a roller coaster still. You're going to have, you know, great days. You're going to suffer loss. You're going to have disappointment. And you need to embrace ambiguity. Um, you need to expect that the unexpected will happen. Um, she didn't expect to lose her husband, but, but she did. She didn't expect to find another relationship, but she did. She didn't expect to lose him as well, but she did. And when I was talking to her on the phone, um, she got beeped and had to take the call because it was her boyfriend. Now, Nancy in her 90s did not expect any of this, but she's embraced ambiguity. And I think that um, people will um, not be as fearful in retirement if they just accept going in that um, it's not going to be a it's not going to be a, a necessarily a pleasant cruise. Um, there's going to be a lot coming at you and you're still going to have to make some tough decisions. The social isolation that you just spoke about, I wish I could remember the quote that was given to me, but it was something like being socially isolated is the equivalent of smoking I think it was 15 cigarettes a day, something like that. It, it, it's really detrimental to our health. Well, you know, there. Are, um, I did reach out to the residents of a retirement community in California for my book, um, and I, I got a lot of pen pals there. And there's the full range on the happiness scale from elated and wish I'd done it sooner to I'll never do it. And you have people there who um, are really struggling with things didn't work out, the, you know, you, the, the plans have gone awry. You thought you were going to travel more, but you're, um, you, you had to spend a lot of money to help a child or a grandchild. Um, someone got sick. Uh, the roof blew off the house. Um, and there are people who end up in retirement isolated, as you say, and depressed. I mean, I, I, I was in contact with people for whom retirement um, is, is a real struggle emotionally and um, you know their mental health has suffered um, and that is um, you know that's that's something that you just we don't we just don't know I mean I, I, I really fear that um, you know I I think so much about my own health in retirement but what about others I mean I may finally retire and be healthy enough to enjoy some of the things that I wanted to enjoy but I've got a lot of people in my life and if their health doesn't hold up then that will become my life, taking care of them. And I may feel isolated from my new friends and from my new activities and purpose. And uh, yeah, retirement is not necessarily going to be easy. As my mother used to say, um, the golden years are not necessarily so golden. At first, retirement was 62, then 65, then 68. Do you think we're going to keep pushing that number back? I think it's going to change in, in that way and in more more ways. Um, now, I'm almost 70. I uh, just turned 69. And when the pandemic hit, um, my office was shut down and it's still not reopened. Um, and so I and others, um, you know, essentially work from home. I mean, I'm a, I'm a reporting columnist, so I'm out a lot on the streets, um, but I essentially write at home. And that makes it a little bit easier, and if, especially if you're in a place with a lot of traffic like New York City or Chicago or L.A. If you don't have to uh, commute to an office, then maybe you're not going to be so inclined to give it up. I think that people will, you know, the, the, the 65 retirement with the fountain pen and the gold watch after 35 years at the same place, I think that's over for the most part. The economy is much more um, volatile and diverse. It's, it's just ever-changing. And people move around a lot more. And the young people who come to work now in the news industry are not necessarily committed to it for life like I was. So I think there's going to be a lot of change. We're in this great state of, of, of change right now as that, that boomer wave crests. There are 70 million boomers. There are 10,000 people a day turning 65 in the U.S. There are 50 million retirees with a bunch of people by the millions coming in behind them. And I think a lot of them are going to work deals like I've worked. I mean, I eventually went into my office and I said, look, I like what I do, but I don't want to do it as much. Um, can you let me uh, Can you let me stay on the books and, um, you know, still work, but have three months off so that I can try all these other things? I think you're going to see a lot more of that um, as, as more of those 70 million boomers, um, you know, uh, slide into retirement. 
Well, you mentioned the pandemic, and I think that may be one of the benefits that came out of the past few years. It's this work flexibility. I see my son, he is a vice president of design for a, a major magazine. And when the pandemic hit, everyone obviously worked from home, but they have not gone back to the office, which is located here on the East Coast. He now has designers across the country. And so there is that flexibility. And, and as time goes on, I, I think you're right. It's going to be a different workforce, which will then lead to a different retirement. Yeah. And, you know, also um, we had during the pandemic, people who left work were forced out of work, didn't necessarily want to go back. And when the economy picked up and employers needed somebody to fill those positions, well, who was available? Those uh, those retirees who suddenly discovered that maybe they were still valued and could maybe work out deals with flex time and, you know, telecommuting. Um, it's, you know, you, you mentioned um, it's, Another thing that I explored in this book is that the way your relationships change and and because of the pandemic and because I was working at home, it meant I had a lot more time with my wife and my wife is a freelance writer. So she works in our house. Um, now, we're in California, but we are not in a 14 room uh, Malibu beach compound. <laughs> we're in a two, we're in a two bedroom house. Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't really have a um, a legitimate office in the house. So, you know, we, for for our 25 years together, I would get up and I would go to work and, you know, spend my days in an office. And then the pandemic hits and I'm working at home and we're bumping into each other. And I thought, you know, this wow, this is nice for me. I get to see more of my my wife. Um, <laughs> and she, you know, I said to her one day, um, you we, it, it was a bit of an adjustment early on where she would say things to me like, are you going to be in this room much longer? <laughs> because I was going to take a phone call in here. So we got beyond that. And I thought we were cruising along. We were, you know, we were ready to, you know, we it, it was pretty smooth, I thought. And I said to her one day, you know, this pandemic is a preview of my retirement because I'm I'm home a lot more and we're together more. And she said, if this is a preview, I do not want to see the movie. <laughs> she was, you know, she was joking a little bit, but it, there was a point behind it. And right. it was, look, I've got my life and I'm a little bit younger than you. I've got my work life. I've got my social life. And don't think that I'm necessarily going to be your 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 everyday buddy. You've got to rework these relationships. Our relationships with, you know, I, most of my friends are are people I I work with. So when I'm no longer working, are they still going to want to spend as much time with me? And if not, you know, at 70 years old, I have to go out and make new friends. So yeah. <laughs> everything is going to change. You and I were laughing about that, but it is a very real consideration. I I mean, you have to think about what will happen when you're basically locked away with someone you really do need to have an escape plan yes and you know what there's another there was another factor in writing the book um i mean i have a son who's 42 living in connecticut but a daughter who's 19 uh, and so that's a pretty big span right i mean mm-hmm. um i remember um well that's that that means that what that means is that i have always had um my kids in the house in my adult life my entire adult life, there were kids there because I had two generations of kids. Um, it was a second marriage. And um, so my daughter, as I began writing this book, I mean, I gave myself one year to do all these interviews and to come up with a decision. And my daughter was in her last year of high school. And so what I was looking at was when I reached the end of that year, um, we were going to be empty nesters. And for me, it would be the first time I was an empty nester in my adult life. And I'm, I guess I discovered I'm a softie because I could not bear the thought of, of her, you know, moving out. And, of course, that's why you, what you raise your, your, your kids to do is to become independent and self-sufficient and curious and to want to go out there and discover things. And they don't want to stay, you know, in the house with their parents forever. And that's 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 great. But. As an old softie, it was tough on me, and it was tough also to think about the possibility that in addition to that big void, I was on the precipice of deciding to retire, which would have created another huge void. So for me, the idea of the double void was so frightening that it it kind of pushed me in the direction of holding on to kind of a hybrid plan at work because my daughter is – she's out of the house. And in fact, you know what I was just talking about? There's no office in my house. I'm I'm speaking to you from 
her bedroom has become <laughs> my temp- my temporary office because she's she's gone at college. But but those are those are uh, that also is you know a, a big adjustment. It's um, like when the kids are gone yeah. and you've got the extra time that retirement gives you. What are you going to do? I mean, I and I I really did wonder if I'm one of those people who, as Rabbi Naomi Levy said to me in the book. Some people thrive on structure, and they fall apart without it. And so don't um, don't idealize retirement as um, something that where you're just going to easily cruise through your days. If you are somebody who has 50 years of training around structure, you're going to have to rebuild your life. You're going to have to put, you know, the pieces. You're going to have to reassemble uh, who you are, and you need to you need to think about whether Working and thinking about working is has become a part of your DNA. Is it oxygen? And if you stop breathing it, are you going to suffocate? Um, so I, I ended up thinking longer and harder about all these things than I imagined I would um, when I set out on that trail and, and was able to tap the wisdom of so many people on what this, this great major transition is about. And are you any closer to your decision? Yes, I, I at the end of my year, and you know what, I zigzagged. I, uh, there were times during the year when I was sure I was going to keep working, and there were times when I was sure I was going to quit. I had a friend, um, a friend died, um, who is exactly my age. Um, there are three people in the book who are almost exactly my age. One is a priest who told me that, um, you know, he's a Jesuit, and he finds a relevance, he finds purpose and passion in his work, and he thinks that I do too. And he said that he was going to retire in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And a winemaker um, in California, um, a very well-known winemaker who's my age, loves his work so much, said that he was going to die and die in the vineyard. And I thought, you know what? That's probably me, too, because look how lucky I am. I'm interviewing these people. What the heck am I going to do in retirement that's better than that? But then halfway through the book, a friend who had been termed out as a Los Angeles councilman died unexpectedly. And uh, the, the early word was that he had died of cardiac arrest. And this is a man who was um, who just loved his his, his job, um, you know, um, similar to the way that I love my job. And I had suffered cardiac arrest ten years earlier. Um, I had to be resuscitated. It was during a knee replacement. Um, I, I, I flatlined, and you know, I, I left the hospital with a pacemaker as well as a new knee. And when my friend Tom died, I thought, that's just a reminder. I mean, there's a, another reminder of our own mortality. And here's this guy who was freshly retired and ready to spend more time with his family and do all these other things. And he died. And I thought, that's it. I am out. I, I'm not going to, I don't know. Nobody knows how many days, years, how many hours you have left. So I'm going to go now and try some new things. So halfway through the book, I was determined that I was going to retire. Then I started to think a little bit about how Tom's identity was so much about his work and how in some ways he had not developed a new identity after being termed out of office. And I thought that may well be me. And I had a couple of stories that I wrote right after that where I felt so privileged to be able to drop into people's lives and and tell their stories. And why would I want to stop doing that? And so I began to take that turn um, as I approached my one year deadline, the self-imposed deadline. And I went into my office and I said, look, I want to I keep doing this, but not so much. Can I, can I go hybrid? Can I cut back? I'll take a pay cut, keep doing what I'm doing, um, but not, um, not as many months of the year. And they said, okay. So that's what I'm doing. Steve's new book is Independence Day, What I Learned About Retirement from Some Who've Done It and Some Who Never Will. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And please don't quit. You're darn good at this. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. This is Conversations with Jones. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. 
Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Doreen Steenland, an ICF certified coach who uses neuroscience in coaching to harness the power of our brains. As a transformational neuro coach, Doreen changes brains one thought at a time. Doreen is the founder of Living Full Life Coaching. She is here today to discuss triggers for threats and rewards in your brain. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So, Doreen, how does the brain detect threats and rewards? Okay, well, there's, there's really five domains that affect whether we receive stimuli as a threat or clock that, that stimuli as a reward. And I'm going to go to um, Dr. David Rock's uh, uh, SCARF acronym. And there's these five areas that when we, when we are threatened in any way, um, will send us into almost a fight, flight, or freeze response. So one of the first areas is the S in SCARF, and it's status. If your sense of personal worth or status is threatened, right, it sends us into a fight, flight, or freeze mode in the brain. Um, on the flip side, if, if we build someone's status up, it gives us a little hit of dopamine, right, and, and triggers a reward. The, the second domain that we, we look at is the C, and that stands for certainty. It's a sense of what the future holds for us. So we've noticed all of us during this time of COVID that there's been so much uncertainty between COVID and recession and all of the financial things, there's an uncertainty and it causes us to react in a stressful, uh, a fight, flight, or freeze response. Whereas when we're going into a meeting and we can outline what's going to happen before we get there for, for the people in the meeting, it really helps to calm down the, the whole fight, flight, or freeze response. The A in SCARF is autonomy. We all need a sense of control over our lives, right? We all want that sense of control. And when that is threatened, obviously, it, you, your brain doesn't know the difference, whether it's a real threat of, to your physical harm, or it's just a threat of losing control over the situation. The R stands for relatedness. And that's a sense of safety with others, right? How safe do you feel in, in the office that you're in right now? How safe do you feel in the meeting? All of these things work to either increase the threat in our brain or activate rewards. And the last but not least, and I think we can all relate to this in some way, even young kids can relate to this, is the F for fairness. We all want to be treated fairly, right? And when we're not, especially our kids, they notice that somebody's piece of pie is a little bit bigger than theirs, and it's a threat to them, right? Are there markers we can use to determine this? Yeah, I mean, these this SCARF domain here, um, all of these five things are markers that we can be on the lookout for. We can be on the lookout for which ones of these five markers, status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, or fairness, is, is a weak area for us. Which area do we react and feel threatened when it's challenged? And so each of us can can be on the lookout for these markers. So when we understand these markers, what happens? Well, it gives us a little more um, control over our life, a little more autonomy, right? Because we can notice that this might not be a real threat, but our body is telling us there there is a threat here. So we can do little techniques to calm ourselves down and get us back to a regulated place where we are are able to think clearly and react um, with clarity and focus instead of the state that we get into when we are in a threat mode, it causes us to feel foggy. It causes us to lose focus. It causes us to um, not think clearly and react in ways that, that 
the patterns that we have chosen in the past to react in, which might not be helpful in the situation. Right. And I think that's the key, that we can become more in control of the way we are reacting and responding and as opposed to it being that automatic knee-jerk reaction. Yes. We do not need to be a victim to um, our circumstances. We can really learn to become mindful of what's happening inside us and, and learn to, to um, really get ourselves balanced again and back to that place of regulation. This is something that can benefit any one of us. And so if you would like to learn more about this topic or Doreen and her work, you can visit livingfulllifecoaching.com. Or as always, to hear more from Doreen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Doreen. We'll be right back. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. As the year comes to an end, many small business owners use this time to evaluate the status of their company and to set goals for what they want to achieve in the new year. Joining us today to talk about big business strategies for small business owners is Jennifer Musser, a small business consultant and founder of JLM and Associates Consulting. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. Glad to be here. Jennifer, this time of year, many people evaluate where they've been, where they are, and where they'd like to be. Do you believe this is a good practice for small business owners? Absolutely. That's an area where big business translates well into small business, and it applies to small business owners, absolutely. Why is it so important that we do this? So even a small business, a solopreneur with no employees, we need to goal set And even the large small businesses need to do the same. And by that, I mean tactical and big picture. So, for example, on the tactical side, if you aren't a numbers person or a strategy person, you need a skilled numbers expert to help you with that. Likewise, if you aren't a marketing expert, but you have marketing goals that you really want to accomplish next year, it's great to get get a specialist to help you. When evaluating the previous year, what should a business owner be looking for? What are some of the biggest mistakes they make? Great question. For small businesses, many make, I'd say, two. Uh, that I see repeatedly. One is delegation. And delegation comes into play for two reasons. One, a small business owner may struggle with relinquishing control and assigning tasks or training somebody else. The other reason that delegation can be challenging for some is simply they don't know who to delegate to because they don't have the staff. And that's where Staffing comes into play. So I see many small business owners either are short on staff, especially now, or they have staff, but they're not training them effectively. They kind of don't know where to start with that. So they could use some help in training themselves, or they don't have the right people in the right roles, which that's also a big business area that, that HR helps with repeatedly in operations folks. And I see that on the small business side as well. I think also what happens with small business owners, not only do they have the mentality that they're the only person who can get the job done, but they have the financial issues to deal with as well. So you just don't have the money to hire all these people. So you think it's easier to do it yourself. But when you do that, are you actually harming the bottom line? That's an excellent question. And the short answer is yes. And really, there's a budget for every need. And I say that to folks that I that I work with. So, for example, if if you need help with strategy or finances, marketing, those are examples I gave earlier. You don't need to hire a full time employee. You don't need to have an employee on your payroll at all. And that's where consultants are are of needed value to many small business owners, especially now, because maybe you just need a couple hours of help, or maybe it's a couple of months. And for many, they don't realize that, that there really is a budget and a solution for every issue. And 
I said the other day to somebody, you don't need to stand still. And by that I mean you identify the problem, you identify where you need help, and you move forward and you find a solution that fits within your timing because many are crunched for time, we all are, and your budget. And you look at areas that can help you within the parameters that you set for yourself. Because it frees you up then to focus on things that do help drive the bottom line. And so if a person is a business owner and they're trying to make that determination on what they should vend out, what they should do for themselves, is there a way that they can learn how to build upon their key strengths? Absolutely. That's another fantastic question. Yes. And I helped someone with this recently. So yes, you ask yourself, what do I love to do? What do I wake up in the morning and I really look forward to doing? And 100% of the time, that's a key strength. And that's something that's probably good for you to do if you have the time to keep that on your plate going forward because you're so energized about it. And when when you're so energized about something, it's hard to train that to somebody else. But if you ask yourself, what do I dread is kind of a strong word, but what don't I look forward to as a business owner? Where do I feel that I don't have the expertise? And that is where you really need to ask yourself, how can I get help for this? And back to the not standing still, recognize the need and get the help because then the areas that you're strong in, you'll continue to be strong in. And the areas that are weaknesses are okay because they can become strengths if you put the right person on board to help you. So you're really strengthening your strengths and you're turning your weaknesses around so that they don't pull you down going forward. You teach so many things that can have a positive impact on a business. But from your personal experience, if you could kind of sum it up, what is the biggest lesson you have learned? Be patient with yourself. (laughs) Absolutely be patient. Because whether you're in big business or small business, you all have goals. We all do. And the key is to keep moving forward, which I've realized. But you need to be patient and gentle with yourself to move forward Mm -hmm. effectively. So you may have big goals for next year but realize that they're all not going to occur in January and you need to hold course and sometimes take small steps moving forward. That's such a great example because I see a lot of people who do one activity and they think that they're going to become a millionaire from that. And that's just not how it works. You're right. It's baby steps and and being persistent and being patient. So really, really great advice. Before we run out of time, I don't want to miss asking you this. You teach something called enlightened leadership. What is that? I love that you asked me that question, Joan. I love talking about enlightened leadership. So in a nutshell, it's a mindset. and But it's not just the growth mindset. It's, it kind of it becomes an authentic way of life, really. So Enlightened leadership, I discovered as a result of my personal journey from big business to entrepreneurship, all the steps in between. So it results from insights and awareness that I've gathered. And by that, I mean insights from big business, awareness of how you want to contribute, how you want to show up for your clients and and vendors and employees and more than that, even friends and family, and it also entails awareness of what we don't want, what no longer serves you anymore, and it's okay to say goodbye to to a few of those things. So this enlightened leadership intertwines with my philosophy of be kind, be a giver, and be present. Yeah, that's so true because when we think about enlightenment. We always think about it being more on the personal side, but what an impact it can have within your own business if you practice that type of philosophy. Absolutely. And it led to me developing what I 
called the Enlightened Leadership Blog, where I took this thinking a step further and I asked myself, okay, I, I've realized this through my own life and experience, and what would I want to know? If somebody knew what I know or have acquired, what would I want to read or what would I want to learn from talking to somebody? And that really motivated me to put word out there and thoughts to promote growth, sharing big business ideas. And really, I decided to take my desire to optimize my own voice and do so in a way that served others. And as a writer, we can do that through the written word. And the blog just became a channel for me to provide value to others and a means of connecting with folks in different corners that I may not meet in person or become clients or whatnot. And Jennifer, where can our listeners read this blog and go to learn more about you and your work? The website is jlmaconsulting.com, and the Enlightened Leadership blog is a page on there. And once again, that's jlmaconsulting.com. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us and for providing some really wonderful strategies that can help us navigate the new year. It's really been a pleasure having you with us. Thank you, Joan, for having me on your show. Your audience is lucky to have you. Well, thank you for saying that. And this is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Self-confidence stemming from a belief in your worth, in your abilities, is a prerequisite to achievement. Your current view of yourself is the result of prior unconscious conditioning. Your future view of yourself can be the result of positive conditioning you consciously design. Affirmations are a powerful tool you can utilize to enhance your self-confidence and positive thinking. Your future success will be determined mainly by what you permit to enter and remain in your mind. Enhance your capabilities to achieve your goals by intentionally feeding your mind positive statements describing the person you want to be or become. Affirmations should describe which qualities, achievements, behaviors, or circumstances you want to possess. You can create your own affirmations or adopt them from quotations, scripture, family sayings, or other positive sources. If you use borrowed affirmations, make sure they align with your purpose and values. Affirmations should always be personal and a reflection of your goals. Here are six key points of what affirmations need in order to be effective. One, positive. Two, stated in the first person or present tense. Three, in the realm of your belief. Four, something you want to become rather than something you currently are. Five, related to your goals. And six, specific to you. If you'd like to learn more, contact me, Bertha Robinson at 732-705-5060 or visit staronprofessional.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Dr. John Barbaro, the Chief Medical Officer at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center. Dr. Barbaro is also an Assistant Professor at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School and the Chief Medical Advisor to Bergen County in New Jersey, acting as Medical Director for all county public health programs. Welcome, Dr. Barbaro. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me again, Joan. So, Doctor, this time of year, people love to set resolutions. When it comes to our health, what do you believe are the resolutions we should be setting? I think that when it comes to setting resolutions for the new year, it really should be the things that we should probably be doing anyway, right? You know, eating healthy, maintaining a a healthy exercise routine, um, making sure that we're up to date with any health screenings, that kind of stuff. Um, but, but that would generally be, be what I would look for is, you know, we should be doing that anyway, but it, you know, the new year is sometimes I think a good opportunity for people to kind of reset, take a look at everything and, and figure out what they want to do the same or differently. You know, you were saying this is a good time to set particular resolutions and we all tend to have a habit of making this list. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get more sleep and it goes on and on. And we start off with a bang. But before long, we slip back into our old patterns. Why do you believe that happens? I mean, I think part of it's human nature, but part of it is I think that we end up setting for ourselves goals that are not realistic. You know, and and that's why I said it really should be things we're doing regularly. The amount of exercise you need to stay healthy is not as much as people think. Um, it's really just a matter of keeping a certain amount of activity. The the benefits from even small amounts of, of regular activity are pretty 
are pretty uh, reasonable uh, or, or pretty low, rather. And I think that people end up thinking they have to take on this huge thing and become something bigger in their mind. It becomes an it becomes a burden instead of something that's just regular that they do. Um, and when you make things more part of your regular routine, I think it becomes easier. When it becomes something that's specifically separated, it becomes a lot harder. It's like that old phenomenon. You know, you sometimes see people they buy all this exercise equipment for their house, and it just becomes furniture where they, you know, throw a, a jacket onto or something like that. Whereas, suppose if they get into a habit of just taking a walk or going out to the gym or doing some particular activity socially, I think that it becomes more ingrained in part of them. I think that's really the key to to continued healthy living. I agree with you because, you know, I know myself, there are times I'll say, well, I don't have an hour to do this, so I just won't do anything, (laughs) you know, but like you're saying, to just move a bit, it's better than doing nothing. And I think that's really the way we need to reprogram our mind for the new year. It's just to do something, Absolutely. You know, as I said, the amount of exercise needed is relatively low. I know there's this big thing that everybody focuses on trying to take 10,000 steps a day, and I don't really know where that number came from. There's actually a recent study that showed that even as few as 7,000 steps a day was very beneficial. Um, There's a lot of things where even just a little bit is very helpful. You know, just decreasing the amount of saturated fats in your diet has huge health benefits. There's a lot of things where you don't have to be super extreme to see a benefit. Obviously, the more you can do, the better, but there's also a point where there's diminishing returns on things. So even just getting and making it just part of your normal activity, so it's not something you have to feel like it's separate, I think will help tremendously. One of the areas that we really tend to go overboard, and particularly this time of year, is when we say we want to lose weight. And rather than implementing a sensible eating plan, we do tend to fall for those fad diets, those really extreme types of programs that that make us feel like we're being deprived. What would be the best approach for weight loss and management, in your opinion? So I am glad you brought that up because, you know, people will always tell you that this diet is the magic one. There's always a new one. That's the big one. And again, the, the, the best diet, first of all, is what works for the person, right? So I can't sit there and say that like, oh, uh, you know, the, uh, the ketogenic diets, you know, the super low carb ones are terrible forever because there's some people who do quite well on them. But most people those don't actually do a ton for because they lose a lot of weight quickly. And then kind of like you said, they feel deprived and the rebound is tremendous. Um, but what's really important is to just do some very basic things. Um, you know, there is a, a bunch of, you know, and every different society and every expert will give you a different diet or different set of recommendations, but there's a general pattern um, that that you'll see across almost every uh, recommended diet. And so it, it's it tends to be things like uh, limiting consumption of red and processed meats, not necessarily eliminating them, but limiting them really eliminating unhealthy fats. So that would be, you know, industrialized trans fats or more saturated fats, lowering sugar, sodium, alcohol, and increasing, you know, fruits, vegetables, legumes, which are, are beans, nuts, and whole grains. That's, that's in most healthy diets. You'll find different versions and different balances and, and different parts. And you'll, you know, some people will do very well on a vegan diet. Some people won't. Some people do great on a Mediterranean diet. Some people don't. It really depends on what works for the person. So that, again, it, it has to be something that they like and that doesn't, that doesn't feel difficult for them to do, but just is reasonable. And as long as you have some basic guiding principles, they generally all work. You know, the, the key is to just you know, to, to burn more, if you're trying to lose weight, you want to burn more calories than you're taking in. It's not much more complicated than that. You know, whatever way works for you is the best way. That's really what it comes down to. But in general, in terms of the data, um, the stuff that generally has been shown to have the best benefits are things like a Mediterranean diet or what's called the DASH diet, which is a diet designed to, um, to, decrease hypertension. And that one actually is not just pure fruits and vegetables. That one will also have some low-fat dairy included. The Mediterranean diet is more focused on olive oil as the um, main source of, uh, of, mono, uh, of monounsaturated fats, but also high fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beets, nuts, seeds, that kind of stuff. Um, plant-based diets are very, very good for a lot of people. But again, it has to be what you're uh, what works for you. And you also, with any of these diets, the devil's going to be in the details, right? So, you know, you'll see people who'll tell you things like, oh, my friend went on a vegan diet and they ended up vitamin B12 deficient or they ended up with osteoporosis. Yeah, that can happen with those diets. 
But again, it depends on how you're doing them and what you're allowing and what you're not allowing. And and all of those types of things uh, affect it. And I think it's important to be patient with it because the reason we fall for those fad diets is because we see those headlines, you know, lose 30 pounds in a month. And in, in general, we don't gain 30 pounds in a month. So we need to be patient in losing it. It's going to take time. You are 100% correct. I mean, I always, you know, I always tell people like when I, when I was trying to lose weight, I would say, you know, I didn't gain this weight in a day or a week or even a year. So it's going to, you know, it took several years. So it's going to take several years to take it off. And that's really the pace it should be. It should really not be that extreme, you know, a half a pound a week to a pound a week maximum is really what you should be aiming to do. Anything more than that, you, you run the risk of rebounding pretty hard. And doctor, regarding screenings, what types of health screenings should we be getting regularly? It's a great question. I mean, obviously, a lot of this depends on your age and gender and race, um, but there are a whole bunch of screenings you should have, you know, of colon cancer screening, you know, for women, mammography. There's a cervical cancer screening, again, for women, particularly uh, women of reproductive ages, um, and things like getting uh, just regular blood work checked, um, you know, your normal cholesterol and fasting blood glucoses and things like that to screen for things like diabetes and high cholesterol and heart disease. For women, it's important to get a, a check of your thyroid function. So if we're going to make any resolution stick in 2023, it would be to make your appointment for your physical and start from there. That's a great, great recommendation. Yes. Doctor, thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you would like to learn more, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.